Welcome to the Paradigm Left Podcast. I am your host, Elliot Yee. And episode two is going to be about habits. Let's talk habits. So initially, my plan for episode two was to have it be about creating the response where we left off on episode one. But since Paradigm Left is all about exploring the realms of habits and mindsets, I wanted to get into the talk about habits And for those of you who know me, know that habits are one of those things that I have become very passionate about. I'm very excited about today's podcast. And before I jump into the particulars, I'm going to start off with a story. I call this the two-man story. And what this story is about is basically two men who are pretty much identical. They come from the same cultural ethnicity same socioeconomic background, their upbringing is pretty much the same, same environment, same experiences, same situations, and so forth. But the first man has been pretty much somewhat of an underachiever for most of his adult life. And a glaring example of that would be it took him 12 years over a 19-year period in and out of school to complete his bachelor's degree. He seldom had any real focus, some ambition here and out. He had this thing where he would set goals and never really quite be able to achieve them. The second gentleman, over the course of a three-year period, has read well over 300 books, close to 70 academic papers, He's written and self-published three books. He's in the process of editing his next manuscript. He started a blog. He's gone around speaking about his experience and his public speaking engagements and some workshops that he's conducted. And he's also started a podcast. So I'll pause for a few minutes right here in case people are having a little bit of a hard time connecting the dots. Those two men are in fact me. I was the guy who took 12 years in and out of school over a 19-year period to complete my bachelor's degree. I'm also the man who's written and self-published three manuscripts over the course of a three-year period. So, what's the difference between these two versions of myself? And if I had to chalk it up to one word to explain the difference, that would be habits. Along my journey, I learned about the science of habits and how they can be utilized to help us not only achieve certain things we want to achieve, but generally push us in a direction in our lives where we're consciously moving where we want to go. And throughout this process, I have in fact learned that habits are a superpower that we all have. So, most of the time when we hear the word habit, we speak generally about the bad habits we have. If you took a few minutes to try and recollect conversations you've had with friends, family, or people in general about habits, how many of those conversations have been about good habits? How many of those conversations have been about working to create good habits? Now, we've all had conversations about bad habits. We all have them. 
but do we know how they formed? Have we been paying attention to how and why we have them? So today I'm going to get into some very specific things, foundational elements about habits. It's really a Let's Talk Habits one-on-one, because habits will be revisited regularly throughout the Paradigm Left podcast. So, very simply, what are habits? Habits are basically simply defined as behaviors that are under subconscious control. They are behaviors that we mindlessly carry out. That's essentially what a habit is. Why do we have them? Well, if you want to get into why we have habits, we have to understand some things about our brains and how they function. Our brains are incredibly efficient machines. They've evolved to be incredibly efficient. Some would say lazy. Our brains utilize 20% of our energy reserves on a regular basis, while only composing about 2% of our body weight. So throughout the course of the evolution of our brains, our brains have evolved to try and get as much done using the least amount of energy possible. Because over the past million years or so, our brain's primary function has been to spot danger, to spot the saber-toothed tiger, to spot the person that's going to smack us in the head with a club, and it needed to devote all of its resources towards survival. So habits have evolved in us basically like a cognitive shortcut, just like our other heuristics and biases. They're the paths of least resistance. And we all have them. So how do they work? Well, each and every time we carry out a behavior, and when I say behavior, I'm referring to a habit of thought, a habit of emotion, a physical action, a feeling. These all generate electrical impulses in our nervous system. So when we perform a behavior, an electrical impulse travels. And the more that it's repeated, synaptic clusters form and they create what are called brain maps. And the more repetition of the firing of this electrical impulse that happens, Over time, what's created over the synapses is something called a myelin sheath. The process of myelination occurs. Basically what that is, is is almost as like an insulation over a wire. And the insulation, once it becomes complete, once the myelination becomes complete, it makes it that much easier for that electrical impulse to travel. The speed is greatly enhanced. This is neuroplasticity in motion. It's how white matter forms. So when we have a habit, 
an ingrained behavior that has been repeated enough times so that myelination occurs, there is a physical structure in our neurological system that relates to that specific behavior and habit. It's part of the reason why bad habits are so hard to break. But that's the physiology behind it. So why are habits important? Why, why is it important for us to know about habits? Behavioral economist Dan Arley, citing research done at Duke University, estimated that 45 to 48% of what we do on a daily basis is done in the form of a habit. And if you think about your own personal daily routines, what you do day in and day out, how much of what you do is the same thing every day, each and every day? How much of what you think, how much of what you feel, how much of what you express emotionally, how much of you respond to certain types of stimuluses is exactly the same. Right? Most of us do the same thing day in and day out. We walk the same way to the train or the bus to go to work. If we drive, we generally take the same path. We'll park in the same spot. So much of what we do on a daily basis is mindless, completely mindless. We start off our mornings completely mindless. One of the good habits that most of us have is, in fact, the habit of brushing our teeth. Well, no one was born knowing how to brush their teeth, right? That was a routine that was instilled in us at a very young age, something we learned, something we did repeatedly over and over and over again to the point where some of us can brush our teeth while we're still half asleep. To show you how mindless of an activity brushing our teeth is, and you can experiment this on your own, but research has shown that whenever we brush our teeth, we tend to brush our teeth the same amount of time each and every time we do it. Our stroke patterns are the same, the time we spend in the different quadrants of our mouths is the same. The time we spend brushing our teeth is generally the same. And we don't time this. I don't think any of us count our strokes. So how is that carried out? Well, it becomes a habit and it's powered by the subconscious. And the subconscious is capable of processing about 11 billion I'm sorry, 11 million pieces of information a second. Whereas our conscious processes are capable of calculating anywhere between 20 and 50 bits of information per second. So there's no comparison in terms of the operating power of the subconscious and the conscious processes. And habits are carried out, managed, and powered by our subconscious processes. So that's where it's a superpower in terms of what we can do with that knowledge if we utilize it to our benefit. So the next thing becomes, how do we create them? Well, 
generally speaking, the way the habit is formed is that they're behaviors that are done. Sometimes consciously, sometimes behaviors subconsciously done. That's how we form bad habits, right? So we wake up with bad habits and don't even remember, man, how did this become, when did I start doing this? I got to stop doing this. But what happens is, is once the brain picks up on a behavior that is repeated enough times, it deems that behavior to be important. So what it does is it creates a cue, and that cue could be situational, it could be emotional, it could be experiential, it could be environmental. It creates a cue, puts the behavior right after that cue, and creates a reward. This is what Charles Duhigg refers to as the chunk in his book, The Power of Habit. And something that's very important to understand and realize about this process is that the brain makes absolutely no distinction between what is good for us and what is bad for us. It just focuses on the behavior. So this illustrates the importance of trying to create good productive behavior to become habits for us. Because if we're mindless in our activity, we can wake up with a chock full of bad habits and have a very hard time getting out of that cycle. So one of the first approaches to creating habits, consciously creating good habits, is what I call the small and slow approach. And small and slow needs to be utilized for a couple of reasons. One, it takes willpower to consciously create habits. And willpower is something that we have in a finite reserve. So what I mean by that is there is only so much willpower we have on a daily basis. And to consciously create a behavior that is outside of what our normal routine is, what our normal prediction loop is, is very cognitively heavy. It, cre it creates discomfort, it creates unease, because we're actually stepping out of our zone of comfort to do something different. Our brains are prediction machines, and they operate off of a loop, and we constantly just repeat that loop. So when we're going to disrupt that loop, it takes a lot of willpower to do so. And that is a big reason why most successful people get their day started at 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning. Because when you wake up in the morning, your willpower reserves are fully charged. And, and this will be the topic of a future podcast on willpower in the uh, episodes to come. But because willpower is finite, we have to take a small approach to creating a new behavior. One of the best examples of something like this is the example given by Admiral McRaven when he talks about making your bed. If you're someone who wakes up every morning and you don't wake, make your bed, start your day off by making your bed. It is a seemingly insignificant habit that requires very little effort, but is enough to subtly change your prediction loop and disrupt it without causing an alarm. Now, what do I mean by causing an alarm? 
This is another reason why the small and slow approach is necessary when we're creating new habits, new behaviors. Because we work off of a prediction loop, our brains are wired to keep us in whatever comfort zone we have created for ourselves. Our brains do not like change. Our brains like comfort, they like the stability, they like the security, they like the predictability. And when you disrupt that too abruptly, the brain responds to that as a threat. Perfect example, when someone cuts you off on the highway, that is a huge disruption to your prediction loop. What's most people's response to that? They go ballistic. They want to kill the person. They want to drive that person off the road because they feel like, on a subconscious level, that person threatened their existence. So, when we step out of the production loop, prediction loop, excuse me, and we're trying to create new behavior, consciously create new behavior that we don't have, it has to be done small and slow. Because we cannot alarm the brain too much to something new. And then the beauty of it all is that once we introduce something new, our brains also crave novelty. And when we have novel experiences... That is a gateway to learning. And when that starts to happen, neurotransmitters that are responsible for softening brain tissue to be remolded are released, and now we have the, the components of neuroplasticity working to our advantage to create new behavior, to create new brain maps, to create new structures, new habits. Now, a few years ago, I challenged myself to read 100 books in a year. It was the premise for my first book, Change the Narrative, How Reading 100 Books in a Year Changed Mine. When I first started to take that challenge, I couldn't read more than 20 minutes at a clip. I would get headaches, I would get restless, I would start to fall asleep, but I was committed to doing it. Gradually, over time... I got to the point where I was reading six or seven hours and it wasn't a problem. Throughout the course of the 12 months, I read 118 books. I've maintained that pace since then because I created a habit of reading in the process when I didn't have one prior to that. When I decided to write my first book, I took the same approach. I gave myself 12 months to write as much as I can, and initially all I told myself was that I'm going to write every day for X amount of time. That process gradually turned into writing a couple of paragraphs, a page, a few pages here and there. Next thing you know, after close to 11 months, I had about 85,000 words written down. When in the 15 years prior to that, I never wrote more than seven pages towards any attempt at writing a book when I tried to do so. I kept the momentum going. Now that I had established a habit of writing, it's easier for me to write than it was prior because I have the elements already in place. But shortly after that, 
I was challenged by a friend of mine to try and lose weight. I was challenged to get down to my high school weight of 175 pounds. I had been 215 pounds for probably the last 20 years without any kind of real fluctuation. My initial response is, that's impossible, I can't do it. My friend's response was, you just wrote a book about setting goals and creating habits to achieve your goals. So the gauntlet was up, I accepted the challenge, and I had no idea how I was going to proceed. Because in the years past, anytime I tried to lose weight, I never got lower than 208 pounds, and this was going to the gym five, six days a week, brutally killing myself, and then as soon as I stopped doing that, the weight just came back. So as the saying goes, whenever you have a goal and you can't achieve it, don't abandon the goal, just abandon your strategy and your tactic. So I took a few steps back, I retooled, I did some research, and I found out about BMR, basal metabolic rate. Basal metabolic rate is the amount of calories you can eat at a desired weight without gaining any weight. So at 216 pounds, I calculated my BMR for my height, age, and my desired weight, 175, came out with a number of 1,750 calories. After doing a food inventory, I realized I was eating somewhere in the neighborhood of like 22 to 2,300 calories a day. So I decided to change my eating habits. Now I had pretty much been eating a healthy diet up until that point. I maintain a vegan diet. The problem is, is a calorie is a calorie. And regardless of whether what I was eating was healthy or not, I was just simply eating too much. My consumption habits were, were too great. They needed to be changed. So over the course of a five and a half month period, I ate to the tune of 1,750 calories with, with very little deviation. And over the course of five and a half months, I went from 216 pounds to 174 pounds. And I did not change one thing about my exercise routine. Now, here I am almost a year and a half after the fact. And I have not gained more than two pounds past the set point of 174, 175 pounds since then. So the power of habits and incorporating them are very real. It's what led me to read 100 books in a year. It's what led me to read my first book. It's what led me to lose 44 pounds when I didn't think that would be possible. And it's put me personally on a path that is really engaging and fulfilling in my life. I have more energy, I have more ambition, I have specific goals that I'm looking to set out to achieve, and I attribute all of this in my life to habits, the knowledge of habits and the practice of creating new ones to achieve my goals. And the beauty of habits is that they are applicable towards anything and everything in your life. If you decide you want to become a better husband, a better father, a better manager, there are specific habits you can create 
if you take the small and slow approach to that end. How you are emotionally are habits. How you express your feelings, those are habits. How you communicate, those are habits. Everything about most of the behavior that we carry out on a thinking level, an emotional level, and a physical level are habits. Success is something that is very subjective. People define success in their own way. But one thing that is empirical about achieving success, regardless of how you choose to define it, is having a collection of habits to do so. When we have as many habits as we can working for us in a productive manner and moving us in the direction of our journey that we wish to be traveling in, we use less willpower to make decisions in our lives. And because we use less willpower to make these decisions, we have great amounts of willpower in reserve to use when needed. That's one of the single most reasons why most successful people are successful today is because they have a collection of good habits that are serving them to their end. They don't need willpower to carry out certain behaviors. The biggest reason why 97% of all New Year's resolutions fail within the first two weeks is because people try to do too much too soon. They're spreading their willpower too thin. When you're looking to create new behavior, when you're looking to create good habits, you have to take the small and slow approach and understand that it's going to be done over a period of time. NASA has stated that it takes them on average 30 days to create a new habit in astronauts that they train. And if that 30-day loop is disrupted, then it takes 45 days following the disruption of repetition. How long it takes a new habit to be formed depends greatly on the complexity of that habit and the individual and where they're at in terms of their development and awareness of that process. So if drinking a glass of water every morning before you get up is something you want to achieve as a new habit, that's a habit with very few moving parts and that could probably be achieved in as little as a few weeks. But if you want to sit down and write your first manuscript, that's a little different that's going to take longer, there's a more involved process in that, but the mechanism of achieving it is exactly the same. Every habit forms in the exact same way. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Same thing, same place, same time. In a future podcast, I'll be discussing engineering your environments to help create behavior that you want. And that's a component of habit creation as well. But for now, I'll leave the the habits exactly where they're at. And episode three will be all about mindsets. And our mindset, I'll leave you with this, is our single most important habit.
Thanks for tuning in to the Paradigm Lift Podcast. This is Elliot Yee, your host. Take care.